so what, uh, what are your goals in life? I know as school starts, you have goals for the, the year and, and what you want to accomplish and maybe clubs to, to join and um, maybe some sports that you want to pursue. We often don't talk about goal setting uh, until January, the first Sunday when we talk about resolutions, but I think it's important to, to bring up the topic from time and time again. Um, a related question is, what is it that we're pursuing right now um, so that we might consider ourselves successful? What is it that we're pursuing? What are we doing? What are we focused on so that whatever we view as success, that we'll be able to reach that? Many, if not most people today, both in and outside of the church, believe that success brings happiness in life. For them, success is wealth. Wealth is happiness. Then success equals happiness. You think I'm wrong with that? Okay, good. Think about it. What is it that makes people do what they do? Getting deep today. What is it that makes people do what they do? In my years of walking with people, both as a, uh, as a counselor and a pastor, to helping them find their way, I found that there really is, this comes down to two things. First, having their passions fulfilled. And second, having prominence. Having some sense of worth, value. Most problems arise in people's lives because one or both of those are not realized. And again, I'm talking about people both inside and outside the church. As a pastor, when I'm walking with Christians who feel that way, uh, I remind them over and over again what the, the Bible has to say about success, about godly success, about spiritual success, and it actually comes down to two things as well. Discovering God's purpose for your life and empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit, pursuing that purpose with great passion. Discovering God's purpose for your life and empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit, pursuing that purpose with great passion. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.1 writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, purpose to which you have been called and again in Philippians 3 13 to 14 he writes one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus in Jesus day success was measured just like it is in ours but life with Jesus life in the kingdom of God was to be different Last week we saw that after Peter announced that Jesus was God's Messiah, remember you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus then defined to them how the Messiah was going to live. In our text this morning, Jesus will define how his disciples should live, and yes, it will include dying, just like it did for Jesus. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Verse 23. We're not going to get out of there this morning. 
So you have to come back next week. I could have spent the message on just the first four words, but Luke 9:23, I'm going to read the whole thing though. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Remember context. Peter had just declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then to kind of flesh that out, Jesus tells them, let me go back. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. Remember that last line on the third day raised? Talked about disciples weren't getting that part because all they heard was about the suffering and the rejection and being killed. Let him deny himself. One of the biggest reasons people outside the walls of this church don't want to come inside the walls of this church is because they don't think they should have to give up anything to be a Christian. Life shouldn't have to be different. I mentioned that. And sadly, it's also, I think, the biggest reason people inside the walls are not worshiping, not serving, not fellowshipping, not praying, not giving regularly. Because they too don't think that they should have to give up anything to be a Christian, that their life has to be any different. A.B. Bruce wrote a, a wonderful book. Perhaps you've read it. It's called The Training of the Twelve. Small book. And he said this, For the whole aim of satanic policy is to get self-interest recognized as the chief end of man. He's done that, hasn't he? Satan's policy has worked. The chief end of man, if you don't know what I'm talking, it means that what is our ultimate purpose in life? And Satan wants our ultimate purpose in life to be what? Me. Well, maybe not just me, but you too. Us personally, individually. To deny ourselves, folks, listen, is totally foreign to us. From the very beginning of when we were born, our families, our world, everything has told us that, that we are the most important thing. Um, even babies, even six-month-old babies understand what it means when they want their needs satisfied. They let you know. <laughs> I'm learning that. Um, and if it isn't to change the diaper, it's to put more food in her mouth. You know? Now she's getting a little more bit, uh, baby food type thing, not just a bottle, so uh, it's a little easier. So society, the world, Satan's policy, the thing that we have heard and has been indelibly ingrained in our minds from the time that we can first remember hearing is that the chief end of our life is to be satisfied. <coughs> from a biblical perspective, what is Jesus telling us to do? I mean, this is polar opposite of what we've been told and what we understand and, and know. What does Jesus mean when he says, deny ourselves? It means in light of our new life in Christ, we choose to ignore our own existence. I'm not talking about not eating or sleeping or things like that. 
I'm not talking about our body thing. We treat our agendas, our wants, our wishes as if they did not exist. We make doing God's will our chief end. We make doing God's will our purpose in life. Don't believe that. Then let, let's take me out of the equation. Forget about what I said. Let's listen to what God's word says. Galatians 2.20, you know this. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? What happened to me if I was crucified? I was killed. I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, I'm, I'm alive, but the life I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus intentionally let Jesus live through them. That's the idea. That's the point. So to deny ourselves, let me give you some things. It means turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. Man, I got to tell you, you know, um, that's got to be, that's got to be like right up there for me, the top sin that I struggle with every day. Um, being an only child, and um, it was hard. It was ingrained in me that I am the center of the universe, <laughs> you know, and that whole idea, if you work hard, then you deserve the things that you can buy from working hard. And, and I don't want to share those things with people for the most part. <laughs> it's a struggle when I read Paul in, in Romans 7 saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do. Self-centeredness is like, that's my struggle more than anything. My time, my resources, my money, my aff affection, everything. I just don't want to share those things. And when I do, and I think God has blessed me with an extra measure of his grace and strength. Because if I'm sharing with you, <laughs> it's God, trust me. <laughs> Denying yourself means turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. It means giving up the right to control not only how we live now, but how we, how we plan for the future. It's dying to our pride and living to exalt Jesus. You've heard that a couple of times already. Lifting up Jesus, exalting Jesus, shining the light on Jesus. That's, it's not going to happen if we're living in our pride. If, and I, I think I struggle with this too a little bit. Maybe some of you will say more than a little bit. If you have conversations with people, do you say me and I more than anything else? Dying to ourselves means renouncing self-will and living to God's will. That's intentional. It just doesn't happen. We have to renounce our will. Now, again, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to, will not bless the things that we want to do. It just means that we put them second place, third, fifth place to his. Denying ourselves is reorienting our lives, our will, our desires, our passions, our pocketbooks, and our time to God's will in order to lift up Jesus Christ. It's a reorientation of our life, every part of it, away from us and towards Jesus Christ. 
pastor and author, Alexander McLaren, I almost always read, if he has anything that I'm preaching on, I try to read him. He's, he lived back in the 1800s, I think. Um, not a handsome man. I saw some pictures. He was scary looking. Maybe that's why people, you know, like they listen to him because he was scary looking. But he said this uh, about denying ourselves. He said, flagrant vice is not needed to kill the real life. Real life, it means the Christian life. Flagrant vice is not needed to kill the real life. Clean, respectable selfishness does the work effectively. Everybody's selfish to some extent, and it's grown acceptable. It's okay. Even in the church. That's not my job. I don't have to do that. There's somebody here in the church who's supposed to be... Let me help you visualize this. Get the picture. Think of a wheel. Um, Paul, go to the next slide, would you? Ah! Put this green down. <laughs> I'm sorry, my bad. I don't usually do this, so. All right, think of a tire, right? And the tire has spokes out, you know, in the rim here. And, and this is where, for the most part, this is where we live. I mean, honestly, occasionally, you know, we bump Jesus up here once in a while. Or he gets to be over it maybe here a little bit. But, and legitimate things, family, hobbies, career, comfort, Jesus, all legitimate parts of our life. You know, uh, <laughs> Jesus being a part of my life, it sounds good. It sounds right. It's so wrong. Jesus is my life. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer lives. He lives in me. You know, one of the things that's interesting, in, in John chapter 6, we're, uh, we're not going to get to that in Luke, the, 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 what he said, but Jesus actually said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And that's then people saying, what, is he crazy? Or are supposed to be cannibals? I mean, I don't... And they all left him. They said, it's a, it's a, they said, it's a hard saying. <laughs> It's not really so hard if you're in tune with Christ. What he's saying is, you just can't have little bits and pieces of me. You come and I'll feed you here, and you come and I'll heal you here, and you'll come and I'll do this to you here. He's saying, unless you, unless you take me in so that I am what gives you life, then you really have no part of me. The reality of this is, if you take this center part out, this whole center, and you just have the wheel, and then you have these prongs that end right here, what's going to happen? Your car's not going to go very far. It's the hub that holds everything together. It gives strength and direction to the tire. If you just cut it all the way around here, it's not going to go anywhere. Boom. Your axle's going to fall down. Your car's not going to go anywhere. Can't have Jesus part of your life. Next slide. Career, hobbies, family, pleasure and comfort. I mean, those are really important things to us. Those are some of the reasons why people, even in the church, don't want to deny. I don't want to deny my pleasure. I don't want to deny my comfort. I work hard all week. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I do. I work pretty hard, too. I think we all do. And comfort is important to me. I thank God that when I first got here, everybody who invited me over the house understood I took an afternoon nap on Sunday. <laughs> they allowed me the pleasure of that comfort. So 
Jesus isn't saying that these things are bad or we shouldn't have them in our lives. We just we have to put them in the right perspective. In fact, Jesus said it so simply in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Why is it important for Jesus being the hub? Because then if he's the hub, then you're not separated here. There's a force, there's a, a strength and a direction when the axle's coming into the car, onto the tire, it'll work. You'll go forward. Because you had Jesus as the hub. Okay, we'll go to the next slide. Another person I go to often uh, John MacArthur. Leave it, leave it down, though, because I'll have something a little later. John MacArthur, uh, he wrote this about denying yourself, taking up your cross. He said, the gospel is a call for self-denial, not a call for self-fulfillment. Christianity has become a get-what-you-want rather than a give movement. The glory of God has been replaced by the satisfaction of man. He's absolutely right. In other words, we've taken God's, again, God's speaking about Jesus. We've taken this, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, the hub. And we've changed it to, in all things that we might find satisfaction, we want the hub. One last thing before I, I move on. Um, there's another Bible teacher I like. I, I read if he has something to say. His name is Victor Yap. Um, this is what he said about denying yourself. He said, it's not repression, but the restraint of your emotions, desires, and wants. Not repression, not getting them away, but it's the restraint of your emotions, desires, and wants. It's not crushing them, but containing them. The old self tempts us to live self-centered, self-fulfilling, and self-sufficient existence. But our new master beckons us to live God-centered, Christ-like, and spirit-led lives. That's what it means to deny yourself. But that's not all he says. I mean, that's hard enough, but then he says, take up your cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So let's get the big picture of this, the full picture. Jesus is telling those who follow him, those who say they're Christian, that their life is not just about denying themselves. It includes the very strong possibility of suffering. Another slide. One more, Paul. Aren't they pretty? I really like this one. It looks like my um, uh, comforter, uh, my quilt that Kathy made for me. It's called a st actually stained glass pattern. And this, very, very pretty. What about the next slide? Do the next slide. Man, does it just give you warm fuzzies? You know? You just feel really calm and peaceful. The colors, you know, are really nice. <laughs> That's what we think of, those two PowerPoint pictures. When we think of the cross, that's what we think of. It's what Satan wants us to think of. And if I have to carry a cross, and I really don't want to carry a cross in my life, but I have to, if I have to, those are the kind of crosses I want to carry. 
They're nice. They're comfortable. They're generally accepted by other people. And they're painless. Next slide. This is the kind of cross that Jesus talks about. Commands us to carry if we say we're his followers. It's not pretty. It's not comfortable. It's not acceptable generally. But it is painful. The cross of Jesus was meant to bring him shame and humiliation. It was meant to make him suffer. Yet it was the means of displaying his obedience to the Father. It was the means of exalting him as King of kings and Lord of lords. It was the way of bringing forgiveness of our sin before God. It was the way of reconciling us to God. As horrible, as shameful, as, as painful as it was for Jesus, the cross, the cross is the heart of the gospel. Taking up our cross, that cross, the kind of cross that Jesus carried, is the very foundation of our journey of faith as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. That's the cross that the Jesus' disciples knew about. Understand, this wasn't something new that they did to Jesus. The Romans had done it for years, particularly in those areas that they occupied to keep the people in line. For them walking down the road at any particular day, they would have seen this. Or they would have seen people carrying the cross member. The disciples understood exactly what Jesus was telling them. Listen to Matthew's gospel. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. This is from Matthew's gospel, and he adds this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We want the other cross. <laughs> That's what we're expecting, the nice, comfortable Messiah. The one that's accepted by everybody. And Jesus is saying, no, this is the Messiah that you're going to get. And this is the kind of Christian, the follower that you need to become. We know it. We, we know this is the cross that Jesus is talking about here. We know what Jesus is asking us to do, but we just refuse to do it. And if we must do it, we want the other nice, comfortable, acceptable cross. We're not going to take this one. An unknown author wrote this poem. It's called God Counted Crosses. I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth by the things gained in store, but he sized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors and sought for degrees, he wept as he counted the hours on my knees. And I never knew till one day at the grave how vain these things that we spend life to save. 
You can go to the next slide, Paul. Christians, taking up our cross is, a, is another step deeper in what it means to deny ourselves. That's okay. Uh-oh. No, that's not good. Uh, yes, it's a black slide. We're good. Thanks. Taking up our cross, again, is, is, is one step deeper in what it means to deny Christ. Remember, crucifixion in Jesus' day was a commonplace. When, when somebody saw someone carrying a, 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 the, the cross member, they knew that they were going to die. Jesus is saying that's how you're to live, to walk around with that cross, cross member. Let people know that you have died to yourself and you're living for Christ. Apostle Paul gave us a few texts on his view of dying. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Romans 14.8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It doesn't matter. I'm in Christ. Hebrews says, My life is hidden in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12, we are afflicted but in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaking, struck down but not destroyed. A lot of you are feeling, going through that right now physically. Always carrying in the body of the death, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in a mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Jesus, knowing his disciples, knowing us 2,000 years later, you know, uh, added one little extra word there. Take up your cross. And you know, like, okay, I, I did that. The day I got saved, I... I renounced the world. I denied everything. I took up my cross. And I put it down. But what did he add here? Take up your cross, what? Daily. Take up your cross daily. Not just the day you got saved. Not just those, those mountain times, like when you're at a women's retreat or a youth retreat or, you know, you're hanging out with some Christian guys and you're just really understanding the Bible together and praising God and, Every day, not just Sundays. How do we do that? How do we do that? I don't have the time to go into that today. We're going to talk about it, but let me just give you this. Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. The Holy Spirit has come through the power of God's grace, and God has shed on us grace to renounce the ungodliness and the worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God has graced us. He promised to shower us with his grace, to enable us to, uh, to persevere under the weight of the cross that we're called to carry every day. He has promised that his grace is sufficient. I left out one thing. Nobody kind of looked at me or, you know, said anything or, you know, gave me that. Ooh, you left something out. I left out the very first part of verse 23. I didn't actually talk about that, did I? It said, Jesus said, listen, if anyone would come after me, 
Jesus is speaking to the 12 here. He, he could have said, listen, if you guys want to come after me, I, we, I just talked about who I am. We understand that. Now I'm going to talk about discipleship. If you guys in the front row, the four of you, if you want to come after me, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But that's not what he said, is it? He said, if anyone would come after me. You see, it would be easier if we said, if you, because we would say, well, man, they're the 12, you know, they're the guys that are going to start the church, you know, they're really super spiritual, you know, maybe the elders, maybe the pastor, maybe missionaries, they need to take up their cross and deny themselves and follow Jesus, but, but he certainly can't be talking about me here. <laughs> Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. And by that he means anyone who claims to be a Christian. Anyone. Even you. One last thought. But I'm going to put this all together. Any of you ever dated in your life? Like going out with a boy or girl? Some of you? Probably most of you? Okay. There almost always comes a time in that relationship, you know, in that dating experience. For those of you who haven't dated yet, this will happen. <laughs> there most always comes a time in that dating experience where you have the talk. Now, you know what the talk is, right? It, it's, it's, again, I don't want to be too stereotypical, but it's often the woman who asks the question and the guys are going like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And you've seen it on TV. It's a Kit Kat moment. Remember, they break it, and everything stops, and he eats his Kit Kat, and then he gets to run away or something. But we have that, we have the talk. Every couple eventually comes to the talk, and the talk is, it asks this one question. Where is this relationship going? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that. No, that's it. Listen, Christian, every day, Jesus is asking you the same question. Where is our relationship going? Today, will it be towards a deeper, more intimate connection with me? Or like you've said over so many times, are you going to just tell me, I need some space? I've said that a few times, not just to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, one of my favorite authors, um, uh, he has a way of, of uh, when people say this many words, he can kind of get down to here and, and just really, you know, say it. This is what he said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Let's pray. I just said those words I've been studying all week, and, and they still sound foreign in my ears. It's so countercultural. It is so against everything that, I mean, even in our marriages, we talk about having a 50 50 relationship. God, I just. It's no wonder that this is so hard for us to do. To deny ourselves take up our cross and follow you. 
Because all we want to ask all along the way is, what's in it for me? And people seeing you do it are going to say, what's in it for you? Why are you doing that? That's crazy. And we often believe it. We, we forget, God, we forget that Jesus didn't come to just clean up Judaism and, and kind of brush it off and shine it up a little bit. He was doing something new, something completely opposite of what the religious leaders were teaching during that time and living. He was saying that if you want to live, you've got to be like the kernel of grain that goes in the ground and dies. We like the comfortable life. We like the life of pleasure. We, we like being in control of our situations. We, we, we don't like the idea of denying ourselves and taking up our cross when we say we, we love you and we trust you. We, we just don't like that. So God, I'm going to ask you that you would help us like that because it's not going to come naturally from us. Your word says that you give us the desires of our heart. I believe that that doesn't mean if we wish it, it'll come true. I think what that means is that your desires become our desires and you give them to us and then we live for you. So we need this desire, God. We need the desire to forget the past, forget the present, forget the future as far as what we want and, and to give it all up for you, to know you, to honor you, to live for you so that you would be our chief end and not our own satisfaction and comfort. Because, God, once you give us that desire, we're, we at least have the foot in the right direction, and then your word and, and, and the fellowship of other believers, we, we can encourage one another, and then your spirit living in us, God, we can begin to do what Paul says, that I forgot the past, the good and the bad. I gave it up. I considered it worthless so that I might know you and the power of your resurrection, and even the nature of your suffering. Father, I, I pray that you would live in us, that we would invite you to live in us, to take control, to be that hub, because without you as a hub, we're just not going anywhere. And we want to go with you. Thank you. Thank you. We can even have this conversation with you and not be fearful because we're not living up. But you love us, God. And you help us along, and we so thank you. We thank you for your grace and your patience. In Jesus' name, amen.